Today's episode is sponsored by Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network Finet, member SIPC. Finet is focused on helping independent advisors support their clients and reach their goals with unique, ever-evolving solutions and resources from one of the nation's largest financial institutions. Learn how you can get more with Finet at wfa.com slash independent. That's wfa.com slash independent. Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rosick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by Vib Arya, COO at Shufro Rose. And today's topic, the evolving role of the CTO when it comes to architecting the future of your business. Vib, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So I'm so glad to be speaking with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Shannon, thanks for having me. Your podcast is in the rotation of industry podcasts I listen to. So it's... uh... It really is an honor to be on this side of the audio, I guess, as they say in the business. So uh, again, really honored to be here. Thank you for having me, Shannon. So really, oh. really looking forward to this. Well, I am flattered. That is great to hear. Thank you so much for uh, being an avid listener. I appreciate that. Absolutely. But uh, b- before we get to the hard hitting questions, I should say, or or maybe this is the hardest question, I don't know, <laughs> depending on how you describe yourself. I do want to start with your your background, Vib, um, and how you ultimately landed at Shufra Rose. And you can kind of take this in any direction you want. Let's do a little personal, a little professional. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's probably the stuff I probably just want to get out of the way and really talk about the stuff probably people care about. But look, I, I kind of stumbled into this industry by luck. I started off my career in consulting, not knowing where my my career was going to go. And I had the great fortune that my one and only client was a medium-sized asset management firm where I really got to just observe and learn how the entire sort of operations is run. And so that prompted me to really jump into the investment management field. And I've been here 25 years. And so throughout this uh, pretty fortuitous career that I've been privileged to have, spent some time in asset management, uh, the wirehouse space, um, and now six years at Super Rose in the RIA space. So, you know, really just really enjoying the whole buy side industry. And I think what's really just so great about this industry is it's all the people and you always run into the same people in different walks of life. I think within this particular space that we're in, I think that's been the part that I've really enjoyed the most over these, these last 25 years. I would have to agree. The people have certainly got me hooked. I had zero intentions of going into finance, candidly. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, I come from a communications and marketing background, and you know, stumbled across investment news and fell in love with the industry and the media side of things. And gosh, almost ten years later, here we are. So I can appreciate that aspect of it for sure. But I do want to talk about the history of Shufra Rose. The firm is obviously doing something right, considering it was founded, what, like 85 years ago. So yeah. I'm curious how how a firm that has been through really just major historical events, market ebbs and flows, bubbles, you name it, how has the firm endured you know, during so much change? And what's the general outlook when it comes to technology and digital transformation? Yeah, no, thank you for the kind words about the firm and the acknowledgement as, as luck would have it and timing would, would have it to be fortuitous. Our firm's 85th anniversary is actually this Friday, May 19th. So yeah, founded in, in 1938, as our logo says. And I think, you know, it, it really is a credit to our organization for multiple, multiple generations. Um, obviously, the loyal clients we've had, obviously, none of this happens without clients. But I think it's really been a function of just focusing on the things that we do have control over. You know, we don't have control over what the market obviously does. We don't have control over geopolitical issues, the national political scene, you know, whenever major events happen, you know, we really have control over three things. One is 
focusing on our fiduciary obligation to our clients, right? That is first and paramount in the responsibility we have. It is always honoring the trust that our clients place in us. And it's always continuing to focus on deepening our relationships with clients and not just existing clients, but their kids and their grandkids. And so, you know, again, as you've acknowledged, thank you for that again. Uh, 85 years in the business, we have many instances of clients where we are working with the fourth successive generation of, of, of families, all, all at our firm, right? And so, again, cannot do with our clients. They are they are first and foremost in our minds and hearts. And, um, you know, that's really, I guess, a, a big aspect of our longevity. To answer your question about sort of, you know, digitization and technology and, and all that stuff, you know, it, it's almost going to be sort of ironic and paradoxical to say, but we're trying to leverage technology and digitization to continue to deliver that human advisor-client relationship. And so certainly creating digitized experiences where it makes sense, but more importantly, continuing to create efficiencies to free up advisor time, the time of our client service folks to really just spend more time with the clients, continuing to create, you know, process automation, workflows to make things more efficient, you know, handoffs quicker, you know, more accurate. Again, just in the interest of really having everyone spend time with our clients, which is where it should be. And, and that's just going to be our continued focus. You know, I think that's what we've been privileged to see, um, you know, sort of the last eight decades is that relationship. And so we're doing everything we can to have technology be the enabler of, of that. You know, the other thing I just add is, you know, when it comes to clients' finances, it's such an empathetic conversation. And so technology is going to come and go, you know, whether it's been robo-advisory in years past, obviously I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into some of the artificial intelligence type stuff. At the end of the day, clients really want that empathetic human conversation around finances, right? In terms of what it's meant to do, what risks to take, what have you. And again, that's where... It's about maximizing the time spent for our folks with our clients. Well, I certainly appreciate the background and context, but I want to dive into our first segment of stats all folks. And, you know, I promised listeners we'd be talking about the evolving role of the CTO. And while there isn't necessarily a ton of research in this department, which is something I'll have to do here at Wellstack. So adding that to the list of things, I did come across a stat in 2022 in an industry survey that said around 36% of RAAs have a CTO. And considering the exponential pace, you know, technology is changing the wealth management ecosystem, feels like this number should probably be a little higher, right? Yeah, look, I, I, I think the answer is yes. It may not necessarily have to be specifically in the CTO title, but what I would say is based on the role that technology plays for our industry, RI firms, I do believe the number has to be closer to 100% where someone at the firm is focused on, you know, some important aspects of what we would consider digital technology, right? Most of us as RA firms are leaning heavily on vendors, right? So just the vendor management, vendor governance aspect. With that comes platform integration, right? Making sure we're picking the right vendors, we're integrating technology together. Data management, right? If we're going to have data sitting in various places, which system is the source of data and how is data being propagated? So there's reliability and accuracy in data consumption. Cybersecurity, right? Uh, obviously, is paramount, right? It, that sort of goes beyond anything else, right? Clients are trusting their hard-earned assets with us, custodians, what have you. It, it needs to be secure. It needs to be safe. It needs to be, you know, confidentiality needs to be maintained. So how we interact, you know, are we using two-factor authentication for everything? Are we encrypting things? Are we sending things, you know, securely, right? That's all 
cybersecurity stuff that needs to be managed. And then the ongoing process improvement and training, you know, it's one thing to have technology, but if we're not keeping up with enhancements, if we're not training people on how to use it, if we're not modifying our processes and workflows to leverage technology, you might as well not have it, you know? And so again, to answer your question, Shannon, yes, I, I think that number has to be closer to 100% with that sort of focus, right? Again, whether it's a CTO by title or what have you, that's obviously different from organization to organization. But I think the focus and the dedication to this needs to be much, much higher than that number you quoted for sure. Oh, absolutely. And you made an interesting point about leaning on vendors and making sure there's deep integrations. And I referenced this a lot in my conversations because it is one of the most useful trackers in our industry. But the Michael Kitts' fintech map obviously yeah. has exploded <laughs> over the years. And the wealth management market has over you know 400 applications in the space at this point. And it can certainly be easy for firms to fall into the trap of buying the shiny new thing on the market. So how do you approach creating a culture that not only embraces technology, but avoids that tech paralysis analysis? And how are you driving adoption internally? Yeah, no, um, obviously, Michael Kitsis, whose name needs no introduction in our industry <laughs> and does a great job. You know, I, I would also add the dimension just going to conferences and obviously the exhibit hall is always the place to be besides where the happy hours are held. It's obviously seen. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what the latest technology is, right? Um, and, and it can be overwhelming, you know? Um, and again, I think that's where it really needs to be sort of a focused approach. And again, it starts with what's the experience we're looking to deliver, both externally to clients as well as internally to deliver that fine experience. Um, you know, and you think about the processes that we want to deliver and, and sort of the requirements. I think it really starts with that sort of heavy lifting of work without even thinking about what the technology platform is. You know, certainly you always want to have one eye on what's out there. So you know, okay, what's at my disposal? What is available? What can be done? What can't be done? But it really starts with Literally, you know, whether it's flowing out on a on a whiteboard or whatever, you know, post-its that flow out a process or really thinking through this is how we want our clients to engage with us or these are the deliverables I want to give to my clients. You do that work and then you go look at the technology that meets those requirements. You know, Shannon, we talked about, you know, again, vendor management platform integration. A big part of it is thinking about what are the core systems or data points in your organization and picking the technology that integrates with that, you know, the custodian, your portfolio management tool, your reporting tool, your CRM tool, right? Those are sort of foundational pieces of technology. You want to make sure you're, you're, you're picking solutions that integrate well, data, you know, propagation is seamless, right? So I, I think, again, it's a lot of that heavy lifting. You know, I jokingly say is, you know, I talk to salespeople and I say lovingly, of course, if, if you go and look after technology, you know, certainly folks want to make a sale. And then a lot of times you realize you bought something that wasn't up to your expectations. You try and get in touch with the sales guy and the sales guy ends up in the, with, with this protection program somewhere, right? And you're left holding the bag. Uh -huh. So it's sort of really being an educated consumer on what it is you're trying to accomplish and how you evaluate the success of what you purchased, right? And so the other thing that I know I, I do personally and, and you know, talking to sort of like-minded you know, individuals, I'll talk to another RIA firm. I'll talk to another COO, CTO, head of technology, head of operations, advisors, because I have a certain use case I'm trying to solve for. And those folks understand my use case and they can give me perspective on what works, what doesn't work from a technology perspective related to those use cases that, that are just relevant. And so a lot of times that feedback, at least for me, is more valuable than a sales pitch from, from a vendor because they understand the context when I talk to them. So again, just something that has been beneficial, at least over the years that I've been working on, to talk to like-minded folks about common use cases, 
common requirements and, and gaining, you know, sort of real experiences from folks that are in that context. And you made an interesting point that not every firm, the role of the CTO is, yeah. might be slightly different. And I would argue that it's not a position that really fits into a tidy job description because not only do CTOs have to connect the technology with the vision of the company in yeah. a way that ultimately you know, sets them apart from competition, but you have to be client facing. You mentioned, you, I, I see you at all the conferences now. Um, so, uh, so you're out and you're not only out on the road, but you, you can't be afraid to be an early adopter. You have to budget for yeah. that tech spend, become security experts. And it's not enough anymore for today's CTO just to stay current with you know the technological trends. They're drivers of how they transform a company at the end of the day. So, you know, over the last 10 years, I'd say we've really seen this role evolved. Is there anything that kind of jumps out or stands out to you in this evolution of the CTO? Yeah, it, it look, it, it's it's so overwhelming to think about it that way at, at times. <laughs> it really is, right? And it's Sorry. a lot of pressure, right? No, it's, <laughs> it's a, but that's what makes it fun, but that's what makes it challenging. But I think that's where, again, the the work is so important because again, some of these things are big ticket items. You make the wrong purchase and it could set an organization back. It could set an experience back. You're not delivering on your objectives. That's why I think, at least for me, I try and keep it simple going back to the basics, right? We're trying to deliver a advisor client relationship. We're continuously looking at a value proposition and an experience we're looking to deliver. To me, those are foundational. And then the technology becomes sort of the enabler of all that, you know? And so I think that's the discipline in which these things need to be looked at. Because again, it's very easy to go buy something and then think it's going to solve everything. But there's no real sort of magic formula to this, you know? There's no sort of one solution. It, it really is a concentrated, diligent sort of methodology and approach to this. And again, it just starts with the basics. What's the experience we're looking to deliver? How do I deliver it efficiently? How do I deliver it consistently? How do I deliver it with repeatability? How do I scale this? How do I eliminate the friction for my folks and for clients to do business with us, right? And, and, and trust us with their hard-earned money and make it easy for them to open accounts or when they need it to get the, the disbursements of money that they may need, you know, for, for a closing of the house or, or whatever it may be. And so to me, I think those are sort of the, the guideposts that we look at when we think about technology and then we go look at the technology and then again as you said shannon you know you need to kind of know what's out there right to be informed you know so that, you know you bring that dimension to these more macro conversations around experience and value propositions to say yeah i think we could deliver this efficiently and repeatedly i think we could automate this because you need to know what's going on out there to be able to you know to, to bring that to the table and I want to dive into this concept of the client advisor relationship really just being at the core of everything. Yeah. So in your opinion, where will technology continue to play a role in deepening those relationships? Are there specific applications you're looking at right now, whether it's AI or blockchain, whatever it may be at Shufa Rose that you really yeah. think is going to be driving the future um, you know, of deepening those, those relationships? Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think it's going to be some of the same foundational tenets, right? It's going to be continuing to create efficiency. So yes, at Shufa Rose, we are looking at artificial intelligence technology by way of helping to streamline workflows and also aggregate data for ourselves in one place, primarily our CRM, right? And so we think about these kinds of technology evolutions, you know, again, as you said, in delivering the advice of relationship to arm us with a, with a comprehensive data set about our clients, right? And, and that we can actually view and see everything in one place and then start to, you know, do some analytical work around it continuing to, you know, take our workflows to the next level by way of efficiency. You know, I'll give you an example of, of one sort of quote unquote simple use case that we're thinking about from an AI perspective. 
if I have to open a certain account type, I love to be able to have my AI bot tell me, oh, you're opening a trust account. Here's the documents that your custodian is going to need. And so by kicking off a process with that AI bot now kind of guiding me, I go back to the client once, get all the data that I need, efficiently submit everything to the custodian to get everything opened, and it's open in good order, right? As opposed to, hey, we got two out of the three documents. I'm going to go back to the client for the third document. The account opening got NIGO'd, so now we're delayed in getting the account open. It's a back-and-forth, iterative, choppy process. And so just, uh, and again, I'm, I'm sort of trivializing the use case here, but it just gives you an example of saving time, saving iterations, less friction, a more streamlined experience. You then extrapolate that over the course of a year, over several clients. That time adds up. Those friction frustrations diminish. And again, that's just more time we're spending where we need to be with our clients, you know? So again, just holistic views of data, more efficient sort of, you know, you know execution of workflows with guardrails, right? That mitigate NIGOs and, and iterations that are not necessary. Uh, and again, that's just scratching the surface of what we're thinking about. And obviously I am no CTO, but I would imagine that one of the biggest challenges, especially when it comes to firms architecting the future of their business, uh, you know, is you not only have to come up with a long-term strategy for the firm, I can imagine that would be extremely difficult with the pace that things are changing, you know, so how should firms prioritize how they approach their, you know, strategy when it comes to technology? Yeah, look, I, I think it's, um, a lot of this is also, again, a business decision, going back to the foundational items of periodically looking at the value proposition, right? Are we still delivering value for our clients? Do we need to refine that? Periodically looking at, you know, the experiences. Are we delivering a frictionless client experience? Can we look at data points? We live in a world, fortunately, especially if workflows are systematized, we can look at timestamps to say, hey, this is taking five hours, hypothetically speaking, it should only be 10 minutes, right? Like what's going on, okay? Is there a bottleneck somewhere? The other thing that I know I'm personally proud of that we've done at Shufro is, um, you know, we're creating a culture of solution-oriented empowerment. The people who know where the challenges are the most are the people who are doing the work. And so really creating a culture of empowerment that, you know what, we're always looking to improve. We want the feedback. And look, there may be times where we can't fix something, right? Because maybe it's a limitation with the custodian or it, it is a system's limitation. But what we can create is a forum where the voices can be heard and it will be considered. And to the extent that we have control over fixing things or making things better, we will, right? And so we want people to raise their hand and say, hey, you know, we're doing it this way. I think there, there might be a better way and here's what it is. So constructive, productive, again, solution-oriented feedback. But I think, again, it's creating that culture where that feedback will be heard and recognized. And everyone's motivated then, right, to make life better and deliver an experience, right? So again, I think these are sort of the, the things that can be done organizationally, both from a strategic perspective, a cultural perspective, and then the technology kind of follows with it. But I think it, it's, the, it's all that work up front without even thinking about the technology. I think in my view that that creates sort of the macro opportunity to, to then you know harness technology efficiently. And I would imagine a lot of it too probably goes back just to your value proposition in general, what you're trying to ultimately achieve for the client would drive part of that strategy too. Absolutely. And then again, with the value proposition comes the experiences, right? And the various fine profiles, right, that are tied to um, that experience. Again, for 80 some years, you know, a lot of our firm's history has been purely investment management. 
Now we think more about goals based and financial planning, but that's resulting in somewhat of a different client profile, right? Leading with financial planning in certain cases. We're obviously continuing to think a lot about next generation. And so how do we create that interactivity with the next generation where their parents and grandparents that we've worked with and have been privileged to work with had different experiences that they wanted or didn't want, right? So it's constantly just evolving. And I think that's the big aspect of it is being being okay with that constant change. Again, it's got to be harnessed, right? Because you can't always constantly change and you can't always change things, but it's having that cadence of discipline, but importance of periodically looking at value proposition and looking at experiences, looking at where there's inefficiencies, looking at the data, right? Let's see what the data is telling us around certain things. And, and, and again, that goes back to the earlier conversation around having all the data in one place so we can make sense of these things, right? So these are all foundational steps that get us the bigger picture analysis. Well, I'm so glad you brought up data because I actually did want to talk to you about growing concerns around it, meaning just the volume and complexity, you know, yeah. data, you know, has made technologies used to extract value from it so critical. And, you know, most firms are really grappling with increased volumes of information and they're looking for new strategies to manage them. Yep. And at the end of the day, you're only as good as your worst data, right? And yes. it could be coming from eight different places. And if if you're John A. Smith and you all have John Smith yeah. in and things don't align, it, yep. it can be very difficult and complicated. So I'm curious how you specifically are, you know, looking at your approach to data management. You know, are you considering things around AI and automations to centralize everything? What does that look like? We are. Um, so again, one of our key projects for this year is to start to centralize data within our CRM tool, taking data from the custodians, taking data from other systems, reporting what have you, loading into our CRM. And so really to answer that question, Shannon, it really comes down to just having the confidence in the data, like you said, right? And so to accomplish that, I think, A, you identify what the source of truth of each data element is going to be. You know, obviously certainly you think about what the broader universe of data is that you need, contact information and all that kind of stuff, obviously. You think about what the golden source of data is, and then you make sure that that data is being propagated to the systems and views that need them with the right controls in place and the checks and balances in place, right? And again, the more that can be automated by way of data propagation, we eliminate sort of that swivel chair having to enter the key da same data in multiple places, right? And risk of error and all that. So I think it really starts by thinking about the universe of data you want, thinking about where that data is going to be sourced and then where that data ultimately needs to be consumed and propagated to. And then you, and then you, you kind of focus on you know, again, we're using AI technology to start to build those things for us, right? So then you look at the technology to kind of make that happen, eliminate a lot of the manual work, the friction involved with duplicative data entry, all that kind of stuff. But it really starts with that conceptual design of what we're looking to do and where we're looking to do it. No question about it that it's, 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 it's you know, I guess data hygiene, right, in some ways, so. Absolutely. And I'm sure in your current role, no two days are the same. So I have to ask, you know, what's keeping you up at night right now? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, you know, honestly, it's just there's not enough hours in the day for all that we want to do, first and foremost, right? There's always projects we want to deliver on. There's always experiences we want to do. We always want to continue to move things along, right? But you recognize everything's going to be done in balance. Look, cybersecurity always is going to be top of mind, right? It, it just, it has to be. We always have to keep things secure. So that's always there. But look, I think, honestly, what keeps you up more so than fear is just, the passion and excitement for our industry and the opportunity that exists. You know, we, we, we've seen all the all the various numbers around wealth transfer and, and all that. And I think there's such a need for what advisors do. And, you know, what's heartened me in, in this in this whole experience is 
again, it goes back to the advisor-client relationship. You know, there's always going to be a need for that perspective. There's always going to be a need for that behavioral life milestone conversation around finances and and wealth and all that kind of stuff. And so it's really the excitement around the opportunity we have to deliver a really nifty experience around this. And I think to me, that's what actually you know keeps me just the continued excitement of wanting to be able to do more and do more, right? But again, it's just it's not always practical. Um, Absolutely. So, so it's, it's, that's really what it is and, and speaking genuinely. Great. Well, I do want to dive into segment two of this episode, Vib. Ask us anything where I've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. And of course, they delivered. So let's take a look to see who's dropping into the DMs this week. We have a loaded question. <laughs> so first one was for client-centric firms, what is the hub of their tech stack? What is or should be the key system that others should orient around or integrate into? Yeah. Uh, solve all the world's problems. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the natural answer is obviously going to be the CRM, right? That is your snapshot of client information, prospect information, where you want to track your workflows. You want to be able to track your client activities, the conversations you've had life events that the client has had, you know, but look, we also live in a world where, again, data is fragmented. And so some folks are building it out in data warehouses, right? At the end of the day, I guess my view is it doesn't matter what the system is, as long as it, it is a system with good data integrity, with a comprehensive data set that gives you all the information about your clients when you need it with good accuracy and confidence. And then you can, you can build experiences off that, whether it's age-based milestones. Hey, client now is eligible for RMD. Let's start having that conversation. Perhaps we start thinking about gifting and those kinds of things that they don't need the distribution to, you know, for, for income or what have you. You know, again, it's, hey, this client is going to go purchase a house or, or we're shopping for a house six months from now. Let's start to have that conversation. Do we need to look at perhaps maybe instead of selling things, we look at securities, you know, lending options, right? If there's low cost basis, right? So it, there, there's so many dimensions to, again, what the advisor is doing for clients, that having a comprehensive view with all this information in one place is important. Again, traditionally, and, and in most cases, certainly on the super rose side of the house, we are looking to build all of that in CRM. That's going to be the table stakes answer. But, but the bigger picture answer is it doesn't matter what the platform is, as long as you have confidence in the comprehensive data that sets that you need. Great answer. So there you go. Second question we had was, what tips or advice can you offer to help RAAs evolve their practice with technology? Ooh, another loaded question. <laughs> yeah, loaded question, although I think we've spoken a lot about it, which is, again, going back to the basics, right? The macro level, here's my value proposition, here are the experiences, here are the processes, here are the workflows. Where can technology help? Where can technology automate, create efficiencies, create a, a digitized experience where it's necessary? help serve perhaps a little bit more on a self-service basis, a certain segment of clients, right? It starts with that big picture vision though, right? What do we want to do as a business? And then look at the technology. Again, always having a purview of what's out there from a technology perspective. So you have an informed conversation about these macro topics, 
but you start with the macro as opposed to the technology and then working backwards to find the, the problem that this kind of solution could solve, so to speak. And I had one more question and selfishly because I'm curious, so I'm going to ask yeah. you anything. <laughs> um, sure. But were you offered any advice getting into the space, especially on the technology side of things or and, and or can you offer any advice to folks looking to, you know, maybe start their careers, uh, you know, on the technology side of things, building up to a COO, CTO role? Yeah, look, I, uh, I I don't know if this advice is going to be specific to technology. I, I would say sort of more broadly, find something that really interests you. You know, my philosophy has always been, if it's something you're interested about, if it's something you're passionate about, you're going to enjoy spending the time in it, and you and you're going to, I think, naturally excel at it. Uh, again, for someone thinking about a technology career, look, if you're sort of tech savvy in your personal life and you're always curious about the latest technology and different aspects of your personal life, certainly then you have the opportunity to, to drive technology innovation in our industry. One of the things that I'm kind of surprised by, right, is it's just our industry as a whole, relatively speaking to other parts of people's consumer worlds, be it retail, be it entertainment, we're just so far behind, you know? And so we're, we need more people to come in with a real passion for technology, with a real curiosity and a real desire to push the envelope to say, hey, you know, in retail, I can go to one site and I get everything from a client a user perspective. When I go to, you know, an entertainment venue or medium, I get everything. But when it comes to my wealth management, my, my finances, I have to go to my custodian site for a 1099 and statements. I have to go to this site for performance data. I have to go to this site to enter data for financial planning. I'm getting a Calendly link from my advisor to set up a meeting. It's a choppy experience. And so we need more people to come in and just help us to push and say, no, our clients deserve a better seamless experience. Let's go make it happen. You know, and I think when you come with that energy, that passion and that willingness to just say, look, we got to do better and, and really get our experiences on par, or if not better than other aspects of people's lives, we need it. And, and I think that's, um, you know, I think that that would go a long way in, in helping us continue to move this move this industry along to, to where it needs to be. Oh, absolutely. And and I would argue too that I would say even in the next couple of years, we're probably going to see a CTO become the CEO of a major, you know, wealth management firm. There, there to me, there is no reason why that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. And and again, whether they're the CEO or not, I think they need to absolutely be at the table though for those kinds of decisions. Right. Uh, again, I, I look at everything it's a partnership, right? And so you need to have the right people at the table with the right expertise to really drive vision and execution. You know, it really becomes difficult to have a vision and a macro strategy created in a vacuum. And then you got to go work backwards to translate it in terms of an executable strategy by way of technology and process or what have you. It really needs to be a collaborative partnership oriented conversation. So yes, no question. CTO becoming CEO. Absolutely. But I think no matter what, there needs to be sort of this call it executive committee where all constituents are there and it's a collaborative exercise. Yes, that is a, that's a great point. And I appreciate you being put on the spot and being put in the hot seat. So appreciate your answers. But we have come to our final and my favorite segment, stack it or whack it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out a few technologies and be warned, they are not necessarily always well tech related. And you tell me essentially if they are worth the hype or not. So okay. first one I had, 
And I will admit, after a little bit of LinkedIn creeping, I saw that you used to be an intern at HBO and yeah. HBO announced that they're rebranding to just Max. I want your thoughts on that. Stack it or whack it. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's great investigative work. So kudos to you on that. That is factually correct. I will I won't state what year it, it was, not to, so as not to date myself. But I will I guess I will go with and using your terminology, I would whack whack it. I would whack the idea of switching to Max. Again, my personal opinion, I just think the HBO brand has so much equity around programming and content. Yes. And some of that, you know, historically regarded shows. Um, I mean, I'm personally watching Succession now. Think about The Sopranos and Game of Thrones and the other shows that have come through that that broadcasting studio and that brand. I just think there's so much brand equity there to kind of literally whack it and to your, to your question. Um, I I personally would not have made that decision, but again, that's me. Well, you and I are on the same page, so I yep. uh, I completely agree. Yeah. All right, so number two, we'll pivot back to industry-related sure. yeah. <laughs> technology, but have to ask you about AI. You know, how should CTOs and heads of tech be considering AI usage at their firms? You know, kind of in its current yep. applications, stack it or whack it. <laughs> yeah. Um... So the answer is going to be both, right? So not giving you sort of a diplomatic answer. You know, yes. you certainly want to stack it because you have to be where it's out there. And, you know, your peers are leveraging it. Clients are going to be asking about it. But I whack in the sense that you need to implement AI for the sake of just implementing it. Again, there's got to be a purpose for it. There's got to be a use case for it. There's got to be workflows for it where it adds value. Um, and so, again... I stack it in that sense, right? Again, just going back to the shoot for rose use cases we're thinking about, we're using it for data aggregation, we're using it for policies and procedures guidance around how to's for certain processes. We're using it to help streamline and uh, accelerate execution of processes. In that scenario, it's definitely stacked it. But to say, oh my God, I got to introduce chat GPT into everything I do now, right? Again, it's um, that's more of a whack it until you really figure out the use case. All right. Hybrid it is. I can appreciate that. Yeah. So, Bib, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to talk with you today and getting to know you a little bit better. But feel free to tell listeners where they can find more about you and Shufa Rose. Yeah, well, we'll start with the firm, Shufa Rose. Uh, just Google us and, and you'll come across Shufa Rose. It's shufarose.com. As for me, I'm primarily a LinkedIn user when it comes to social media. Um, so that's probably the best place to, to find me. So. You know, again, that's uh, pretty pretty simple, at least on my end. <laughs> Keep it simple. I, I like it. Well, thank you again. Really enjoyed speaking with you. And be sure to like and subscribe to the Wellstack podcast on all major podcasting platforms and follow all things Wellstack on wealthmanagement.com, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And thank you all for tuning in today. Today's episode is sponsored by Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network, Finet, member SIPC. Finet is focused on helping independent advisors support their clients and reach their goals with unique, ever-evolving solutions and resources from one of the nation's largest financial institutions. Learn how you can get more with Finet at wfa.com independent. That's wfa.com independent.